0: We are one in Pod, and uh, this is uh, a joint effort of uh, of PresbyCast. Let, let the and, guests uh, the talk.
1: Let, let the guests talk. Come on now.
2: We were going to say it at the same time, and I just could not do it. <laughs> I could not allow myself to to speak over you. All you have to uh, do, risky.
0: all you have to do, is just—it's really easy. You just ignore the other person at the other end. <laughs> um, yeah, and take your headphones you off. Of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what you do. You just, you just take your headphones off. But um, th- this really is, it's it's Tenacious D if they went to youth group, is what this song is. <laughs> it is. Yes. Yeah, I can see that. All right, Grant, now you talk.
2: Well, it's really great to have you all here for the joint episode of PresbyCast and A Balm in Gilead. This is kind of our uh, start of season five or six or something like that on our channel um, we broke that up because we took a rather long summer break and we're back more or less. And we have more shows, you know, <laughs> coming up. Have, so it's we have
3: tons of shows, tons of them ready.
2: tons of them. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, but what better way to do that than with our really, really good friends, Resby and uh, Chortles Weekly. So uh, thank you so much for having us on your show. And thank you for allowing us to you know, kind of collaborate on this one. This is a
0: very efficient use of the internet um, because I feel like everyone always tries to schedule people like, when can you come on? Like, just do it at the same time. Like, this option's been here the whole time, and we're the first people to really ever do it, ever. Um, So I'm excited to finally receive some just recognition uh, and, and maybe even a little notoriety as well.
1: Well, uh, no, good. N- notorious we are, uh, no question. And um, you know, anyone that's around church long knows that if you want to make some people mad, um, you change the music or you criticize the music. Um, so we're gonna we we're gonna step on some people's toes tonight. That's just um, it's impossible to do otherwise. But if you like music that we criticize tonight, it doesn't mean you're a bad person or even wrong. It could mean that we're wrong keep that in mind and uh, it's all in good fun mostly unless you know you like some of the really bad stuff and then we mean every word that we say here uh, but, but it
0: also but it also doesn't mean you're not
1: a bad person that's right <laughs>
0: regardless of musical taste. i mean,
1: who are we to judge uh, that you're yep. not bad um so the, again uh, the hosts of the balm and gilead podcast are here they've been here before what was it three mm-hmm. years ago it was before COVID, feels, right? Feels like it. Yeah, it was a good while ago. So uh, we've done this before. Um, and I, did we inspire your Discord server, or did, did that kind of uh, come up um, independently?
3: Uh, I'd say that there was, uh, it, 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 there was some inspiration there. Um, we knew that we were either going to go with Slack or Discord. And so we just kind of, I think, flipped a coin, and it landed on Discord. Uh but we still also kind of have a Slack channel that is kind of there and kicking, but it's, it's interesting.
2: Yeah. There are a few people on there that um, do only do the Slack channel and not the discord channel, which is fine. And I try and keep up with it. uh, And it helps that um, our, our workplace does use Slack. So I have an excuse to be on it.
1: Yep. All right. We have similar interests. Um, you are uh, younger uh, than we are and um, and you're you're either in or have been more in the contemporary uh, music and worship scene so you're um, and I think what you do is evaluate um, modern worship music or popular uh, you know not the really not the really uh, bad stuff but the stuff that's uh, verging on uh, helpful and good and um, mm-hmm. trying to uh, bring some discernment to bear, on uh, musical selection, whether it be by churches, um, uh, worship leaders, officers, or just what people choose to listen to. So, um, so what's on your what's on your mind? Well, uh, what 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 do people who uh, go to church and care about worship and music need to hear uh, from you all? Yeah. Yeah, and uh,
3: I would say that you know, last time that we were on, uh, which was however however long ago, um, I was trying to argue the point that the role of music minister was a biblically um, not necessarily authorized, but biblically allowed uh, a role, specifically when when thinking about like um, how we have song like the, the person who chooses the songs or the choir leader, if, if we talked about like the choir master and then as well as having an elder that is uh, kind of vetting the music. So if you have an elder who's vetting the music and a song a leader or a uh, choir master who is actually up on in front leading the, the music, uh, I was trying to argue that those two roles could be the same person. It could be different people. And, uh, and you were trying, you were trying to convince me that simple is better and that it's uh, best overall to just tone it down and get the drums the heck out of there. And uh, since then, I have well the
1: drummer, really, more
3: spe- the drummer more specifically, more specifically the drummer. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. I, I think you said earlier today that the uh, the purpose of the drummer is to give the uh, the, the dirtiest a uh, member of the church, something to do. And my response was in the fog machine. The reason for the fog machine is to hide the drummer. Um, and so that's, that's probably this is
2: basic good and necessary consequence. Good and necessary,
3: yes, that is what that yeah. is. Um, I, I mentioned when we were on last, that I was, I just started going to a, an OPC church that was, um, that had a piano and no uh, song leader. And uh, and so I've been there since. And I am convinced now that simple is best, uh, which makes it interesting for the podcast since I'm, I'm now kind of switching gears a little bit. I'm, I'm focusing more on analyzing music really for personal use than for church use. Um, and that'll be something that we really talk about in the, in the next
1: upcoming episodes and even today as well. So did, have you come here to repent, to recant? Yes. Okay, so this yes. is like a struggle, a struggle, yes. you win. A struggle you. session, uh, just an ongoing yes. thing. Um, yeah, back to the drummer. I mean, I just have to stick with the with the with the nasty elements. Uh, can you imagine the poor person that has to clean out the inside of the Lucite drummer cage?
4: Mm.
1: You know, t- can you imagine some probably live in there? Um, yeah, uh, so I have to use my my, my, my stock joke what do you call a drummer without a girl without a girlfriend a pizza delivery driver homeless there we go yeah yeah yeah. all right so there's no drummer at our church at the moment Uh, some of you know i know i've got pastor friends who their music is a good bit more um, contemporary than than what, what we enjoy at my church and um you know i think they're careful with their musical selections and that maybe ideally they'd like to change it but uh Slow and steady wins the race. And you, whatever you're doing, you can do it better or worse. And uh, so, yes, personal growth on the part of uh, Jemerson there. So, Grant, tell us uh, what, where you are what's going on with you.
2: Uh, well, I am sitting here in Oklahoma City um, enjoying uh, your all company. Um, you, you know, I, I would say that I have slowly been um, – also on a transitional curve along with jemerson here over the last what three years and, and really longer um when i started understanding uh that there was something called a regulative principle of worship i i, I haven't really understood that as, as well and um I, you know we we did just visit a um, um my friend's church uh his uh, he's a rpcna pastor down here we just visited his church on on um, on December twenty fifth, for some reason, a lot of churches were closed uh, that day, and uh, so we had the the lovely opportunity to uh, attend uh, the church uh, there with them. And really, uh, if you if you haven't had a chance, I I would I would strongly recommend go at least uh, see what it's like to sing one hundred percent psalms, one hundred percent a cappella.
1: Now let's talk. That that raises something. It raises an issue. I wanted to talk about. Um, it's singing volume It's whether you can actually sort of judge The spiritual temperature or the engagement of a congregation By the by the volume of their singing uh, Of course the building, you know A small, low-ceilinged su- low, low worship hall Will make it seem louder maybe than it is You know, but I've been at some small OPC churches Where they they really do sing loud I mean, it's like they make a point of it uh, I assume the RPCNA, the Covenanters, the a cappella exclusive Psalm uh, Singers. I assume they put a lot of effort into that. And you know, even my own church with only a piano, uh, sometimes it just hits me how loud uh, the singing uh, it is in in a building with a you know I think a thirty nine foot uh, ceiling peak. It still can be can be quite hearty. Um, but you know we do. You know when we confess the Lord's prayer, or say, say, uh, say, confess our uh, sins, or or say the Lord's prayer together. It sometimes seems that when we speak uh, those parts of worship, that's actually louder than the singing. I don't think that's true, but it seems louder, and maybe there's that impression when there's no instu- instrument involved. Um, so what did, what do you guys make? And of course, I would say that with contemporary music which is, is sometimes sort of being sung at or it's what i like to call hum along um i don't think the you know the congregation sings quite as loudly as they do with simpler instrumentation I'm sure you guys have thought about that
3: yeah yeah um i i actually had a music minister in the past who when i was talking to him he's he's just was frustrated he said um you know i I'm just really, really struggling trying to figure out how to get the people to sing. Uh, he says, we're playing everything. They know like we're playing all the songs on the radio. I know that they're listening to the radio. And, and so I know they know these songs, but they just won't sing. And, uh, and at, at the time, you know, I, I kind of was trying to empathize with them and, and all that, but now looking back on it, it's, it's because the songs that he's playing were written for one singer to sing. They, they're, they're, All music, all music intended for the radio is a performance piece. It was written for a performer to sing. And, uh, and when someone else is trying to sing it, it's not easy. Um, a performer can sing it, but a regular person just can't. And, uh, and so these songs, and and even then, like, I think people are used to listening to them in the car. And so they're used to listening to the songs in church as well. So it's a, it's kind of a lose, lose situation.
1: Yeah, or, or maybe it's um, maybe they just sing the chorus or the parts they know. Um, you know, I've been to enough churches, not not any I've been a member of, but they do project the lyrics. Um, of course, there's no musical notations with, uh, with with projected lyrics. Usually, just words. So, um, so what about part singing? Do you think that's actually? I mean, we know that Calvin in Geneva wanted everything. Everything was homophonic. He didn't the 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 Psalms that you hear, and there's some nice recordings of the Psalms. Of some the,
0: theological uh, liberals would describe uh,
1: Calvin the same way as well. As uh, yeah, hom- <laughs> okay, ha- homophonic, yes. Um, mm-hmm. but, but you know, there are some fancy arrangements of the Geneva Psalms, but those were done for parlor purposes. You know, the Huguenots when they were sort of, you know, when they had they were sort of in the ascendancy in France. They would get together, and that was their entertainment—singing songs together. But they sung fancied up, uh, you know. Rap, you know, there might be a round added, and there were four parts. They would have a table that this uh, songbook would open like a, you know, like a plus sign, and everyone would stand around and sing their part. Uh, but what about part singing? What's lost when we project the lyrics? I mean, I think what you lose, you lose the men because they can't sing the high you know the high parts and i don't know you you all are the musical experts tell me
0: so i i actually have a a a thought on this and that and i posted it in the in the comments and that's like whenever you're planning on like what key to sing a song in you should drop it down at least one um because it is it is just sort of You know, your head kind of like cringes a little bit when you can see, um, and especially around, you know, finishing up some, um, you know, dare we say holiday songs. Um, There are some in there where the key gets a little like way too high. Uh, Amazing Grace is notorious for this. Um, It should be sung at least two keys lower uh, specifically for the that saved a wretch like me line uh, because it is uh, neither decently nor in order.
1: Um, when everyone tries to hit that note. Yeah, that's one of my least favorite tunes, uh, I hate to say. So, unpopular opinion. It's all
3: right. I don't think John Newton ever heard it, so <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that the part singing, in a lot of ways, and, and this is just an opinion, um, I think part singing is there so that the men can have something to sing. And, and it, I, I've... <laughs> that is what i've kind of can lumber about church.
2: the melody kind yeah of. they
3: can they can kind of drop down but not the full octave they can kind of hit that one note and hit it strong and, and maintain that that foundation um i, I grew up in the choir I, I was i was a choir boy uh, all the way up through high school um and, and then in seminary as well so i'm i'm no stranger to to part singing um but i I, I'm not like married to it. I, I, I think that as long as people are singing, that that's what's best. Um, it is interesting, though, that the this idea of of um, melody only is a uh, is a unifying factor with John Calvin and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's uh, something that we've talked about in the past. It's just kind of an interesting
1: little tidbit. All right. Well, um, so uh, you know, I would I would. I would uh, recommend that people uh, ask yourself this question. Uh, can I do what—can um, I do in my church building on Sunday morning? Can I do what Paul commanded, which was to speak to, speak to others uh, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? In other words, can I hear uh, the other people who are singing with me? Or do I just hear the leader, or do I just hear the instrument or, inst- or instruments, plural— um, I think that's a good question. And as you as you move around, yep. different settings, different denominations, different styles, uh, different types of buildings, uh, it, it's interesting to note how all those things affect singing, you know, which is probably more important than we think, like most things. Yeah. Um, yeah,
3: the, the command to sing psalms and spiritual songs, especially to sing to one another and to hear each other, Uh, we, we can't deny that we are commanded to sing. Like that is something we cannot deny. We also can't deny that we're commanded to sing Psalms. Uh, and we don't have a universal agreement on what a hymn is or what a spiritual song is, but we know 100% what it means to be commanded to sing Psalms, but we don't do it. Uh, And the big Eva churches, they just don't do it. And, uh, that's just kind of this crazy thing.
1: But even as yeah, I mean, even as you say that, we have three numbers queued up for later, which are really not um, congregational songs. But there yeah. is a resurgence of uh, or a resurgence of uh, psalm singing, and we'll talk yeah. about that. But uh, Grant, you had a point.
2: Well, uh, that was that was exactly it. The, over the last couple of years, it seems that a lot of artists have suddenly come into the psalms and. I can't help but wonder if they're you know finally beginning to see some of the reasons that we sing the psalms are, you know, because they do reflect all the different um, you know, uh, uh, feelings of the soul and 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 with evangelical worship built so much on on the prioritization of feelings above all else, it, it it's just a theory, but it could be that this is a way, for um a a more evangelical church to engage with those uh those emotions uh in a way that they they would see as a little bit more biblical um so it, it's just a theory though curious what you yeah. all think about that
1: well you know maybe maybe they've just run out of ideas uh maybe they, <laughs> uh, you know here, here here's this song laid out for me i just have to change a few words to make it uh make it rhyme and um uh, and we, you know, we're going to repeat some of the cool parts. Of course, some of our psalm arrangements do that too. Um, you know, sometimes you'll just to fill out the uh, the, the last verse. You know, there'll be some repetition in there. But we do. There is some repetition in the psalms uh, as they are written. So uh,
2: yeah, his love endures forever. Well, what psalm is that? It's um one thirty six. One thirty six. Yeah.
3: 136,
2: yeah. Um, which how do you not that? remember
3: 136? It's only in it 437 times.
2: Yep. I feel like you're making one of your jokes that I'll laugh at in A Sorry. couple it's of
3: every, minutes. it's every every other, every other verse. It's every other verse in 136.
1: Okay, do we want to do we want to dive into some of these contemporary psalms, or uh, I know you had other things you wanted to talk about. Uh, we can also talk about the distinction between uh, corporate worship and personal worship, and how those two things uh, bleed into each other.
3: Yeah. Um, the One of the first things that we had kind of on here and uh, that we were going to talk about was this article on the Gospel Coalition uh, by Brett McCracken. And, uh, and I think this is a good article because he gives his kind of uh, definition of what Christian music is. And I think that's kind of a, a good place to start this conversation. And I'm just going to read what he uh, what he put he said is the music coming from an earnest desire to glorify Christ and an and an authentic unapologetic love for God's word uh even if it's not in the quote worship genre whatever that is uh does the music cultivate in listeners greater love for the Christian God if yes we can call it Christian music, and so I, I wanted to kind of point out a couple flaws in this definition. Um, it's very me-focused. It's it's very uh, listener-driven. Um, you know, does the music come from an earnest desire to glorify Christ? Well, I mean, I, I think. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of think that Aaron especially had a de- had an earnest desire to glorify God when he created the golden calf. Uh, but we all know that that was wrong. Uh, so having an earnest desire isn't enough. It has to be an earnest desire led by something. It says um, an, un- an authentic, unapologetic love for God's word, which is good as well. But having a love for God's word, which I would think that every Christian would um, and. Actually, studying it and and understanding it and um, following it is is different. Um, I think he probably meant that in this, but he didn't say that in this. Uh, he also says, "Does it cultivate in listeners greater love for the Christian God?" And, and you can't measure that. Like that's not uh, that's not something that is is measurable. It's that's just this kind of nefarious out there. Um, thing. And so I wanted to propose a better definition uh, for, for Christian music. And that's uh, songs that carefully consider scripture and theology and apply these truths rightly to the world, to the people in the world, and especially to the Christian life. And, uh, and this takes the focus off of, of earnest desires or misguided intentions and, and puts it on measurable, objective content markers. And I, and I said that uh, most CCM would not fit that, def- that definition, but any song that does not do what my definition requires is actually a syncretistic work of paganism. So I stand by it.
0: Uh, can, you read, can you read your definition one more time?
3: Yes. Uh, songs that carefully consider scripture and theology and apply these truths rightly to the world, to the people in the world, and especially to the Christian life.
0: Okay. So you just – you essentially just defended why Bob Dylan is a better Christian artist uh, than than any other uh, Christian yes. artist. Uh, I, yes, I, I don't mean that as a jab. I, I actually would think this as well. Um, it, it's yeah. sort of my take of like why uh, Stephen King's The Stand is a better novel of religious pilgrimage uh, than Pilgrim's Progress.
1: That's fair. You, you, heard, it, you heard it here first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So let's talk about the objective versus the subjective. A lot of the, yeah. a lot of the songs, even in the Trinity Hymnal, the Trinity Hymnal, nineteen ninety, uh, I guess, uh, the, the latest version, whatever that is, um, it's got a lot of songs. You know, it's got a lot of uh, oh gosh, uh, there aren't many Fanny Crosby's. But who's the other lady? Um, just a, just a lot of songs that evangelicals revivalists have sung. And a lot of them are what could, you know, charitably be called songs of personal testimony that many of us can't really, I'm talking about even believers, can't sing those songs, shouldn't be able to sing those songs um, with a, in my opinion, with a clear conscience because uh, you're singing about somebody else's experience. Um, I think some of the most moving hymns to me uh, when we sing hymns. Uh, are 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 you know well done uh extolling of objective truths truth you know yes. tr- truths of you know a doctrine although you know you don't have to call it that you don't have to you know when you're singing it you don't think you don't think, oh well this is doctrine we're talking about truth um so th- those are the those are the ones that I tend to like and uh that that and you know another thing i've noticed maybe, I don't know, half or a third of the hymns I sing, I think, well, that was pretty good. And a few of them you you think, well, that was pretty bad. But I've never thought that about a psalm. I mean, if if you know you're singing God's word, you know that even if you don't quite understand it, um, or maybe you don't have the context for it or something, you know that there's nothing off about it. Right. Um, That's really important. I mean, if you haven't, If you haven't tried the psalms, um, you should do that.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's one of the things that's really attractive about singing the psalms is that you can trust them. um, Mm -hmm. Because you're singing God's word. And uh, that's incidentally one of the things that made it really attractive to me. Uh, One of the other things I wanted to pick a little bit on, Brad, that you said um, uh, that I thought was really, really interesting was the – uh, the the songs that we sing are singing a particular truths. Uh, maybe maybe we could even uh, say we're singing doctrine in a way, right? And I have wanted to, I, I think it'd be really interesting, maybe somebody has done this already, but taken the more popular worship songs and write a systematic theology based on those, just on those worship songs. And, think, and find think, out kind of what I you think, would come I
1: up think, with. I think Fuller's already done that.
2: Fuller Seminary? How well, they? You
1: no, know, just you know, just compare. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I'll ask my dad.
1: Yeah, no, they haven't. But that 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 is a great idea.
3: Yeah, I had the the idea of of coming of writing a catechism uh, once. Like that was kind of what really got this whole podcast started. Was um, I, I wrote an article that I said you know the 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 new catechism is worship music because you sing it at home you sing it at church it's what we are learning like that is basing our foundation of theology is is things like reckless love um which really gives us a counter gospel and uh and so we are learning a counter gospel as as our foundation through this new catechism and so yeah uh i I thought of doing that project but i did a podcast instead.
1: so it's like do you love god or do you k love him you know i mean so um
3: um I actually would love to start a Christian radio station as long as I can get 88.7 as <laughs> my as, as my uh, frequency because Psalm, requirement because Psalm 88.7 says your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves and I just would love that like that is that is my radio station is
1: 88.7. you know the uh, it, you know the, the catechism based on contemporary worship music, it, the first question would be, "Is our God an awesome God?" And then you would say, "Yes." You know, when he the, rolls his he sleeves, he's put on the ritz. I am.
0: Well, I was so angry when I learned that there were verses to that song and not just the chorus, like pounded into a skull, because, like the song, putting on the ritz is not as corny as the lyrics to, like the rest of. The the it's Mullins right? Rich Mullins wrote it. Yeah, yeah like
1: hold on, that's and, a real that's a real God, Christian song.
0: Yeah, our God is an awesome God. Oh, I thought you meant putting on the just put, like putting on the smash you in the head okay. with that chorus. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like the uh, the the lyrics are never sung in church, or like they're never like used because they're like horrendously corny. The, yeah. Which is which is a shame because uh, Rich Mullins, confirmed cigarette smoker, uh, was probably a cool guy. Otherwise, he probably was.
1: Oh. all right. So uh, someone needs to write a catechism based on uh, based on contemporary worship music. Uh, he, I mean, Resby confessed before we went on the air that he's very much out of the loop on this, having escaped the clutches of Acts twenty nine. Um, my primary exposure to um, to uh, CCM or modern worship is when I go to the restroom at uh, Chick Fil A because you can hear it in there. It's, a, it's sort of a music version. If you're out in the dining Not room, anymore. oh, oh, really? Okay, well, they changed it. Yeah, it's been. I don't think I've been inside a Chick Fil A more than once since COVID um, because when you, I can't hear the music in the dining room over the you know the the, the homeschool play groups. That are meeting, and the kids are free, and they're having a great time, and I, I support that. But uh, yeah, my, yeah, but but I, I will say this: if I'm in an area that's got really good FM reception and uh, the weather's good, I will just do the uh, the search through, with my FM radio. And uh, there are times in my area where I can I can pick up about five different uh, contemporary Christian music channels. And I found that generally I can know in about two notes or three whether it's a contemporary Christian music song um, because hardly anybody plays Coldplay and U2 on the radio anymore. And they all sound Thank like good-
0: that. Thank goodness, by the, the way. The- like, chalk one up for the post millennials.
1: Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> that you know, we should give, uh, give them the dub where it's
1: deserved. Um, they're, they're doing some good work there. So, the. Uh, we were we were chatting offline that um, not not every contemporary Christian music song uh, sounds like Coldplay or U two just most of them it seems to me um, yeah yeah so you, yeah you, you so, guys know
3: so uh, there seems to be this kind of movement especially with like streaming services where you don't have to be on the radio anymore like the radio is kind of a dying industry. And uh, and so with streaming services, you can kind of break the mold. Uh, you can you can kind of break the rules that would get you on to the uh, to the Christian radio. And so now we have you know that meme that's like uh, the that has like the, the statistics bar, like the bell curve, where the two people on the ends are like saying the same thing, and the one in the middle is like trying to like focus in on something. Well, it's like the one in the middle is like the Christian radio, like and it's it's everything is the same. But on both ends of that spectrum you have this kind of this folksy new style it's like i think you put it as urban grass it's not quite bluegrass
1: but it's this folksy you got to have a cello you got to have cuz so, so, yeah. so the, you have to have four at least four of these things piano cello uh, fiddle or violin depending on where you are mm-hmm. uh, mandolin of course what what is indispensable is banjo. A, a, an acoustic guitar yes a banjo if you can get it Um, there's
0: so there's so many banjos this year like it's (laughs) like banjos are just they're coming out of the woodwork um because because like this urban grass thing and now it does follow what i would consider to be a great trend in music and that is Mm -hmm. more people listening to bluegrass in general yes billy billy strings is playing arenas he's doing a doc watson tribute show in an arena in march which is insane to think about it's wonderful but this like urban grass is sort of like, remember about like 2006 to about 2009, where like every male singer sounded like this. And yep. that was all of them. It was just this like Christian butt rock. Um, now we're doing the bluegrass version of that. Uh, I heard someone
3: say it was like all of the men, were. it, it sounded like everyone was trying to poop.
0: Yeah, like was, everyone. Was there, every, so what what happened is is all of their wives ship lapped the insides of their houses. Okay, shiplap no longer in style. So what are you going to do with all that wood? Make a banjo out of it. So that's why okay. the market is just flooded with these things. They're they've never been at prices this low, and everyone is just learning how to play the claw hammer, and it's fantastic. I can't. I, I've never made him laugh this hard, and it's breaking. But like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's I mean, it's great. I mean, all these all you know, the wood paneling in these houses that's getting that are getting flipped. Uh so you're just getting, you know, some some artisan antique banjos coming out of Detroit and uh it it seems like the industry is just ready for it.
3: Yeah. And so uh so on this this meme idea where the low end is like the Neanderthal guy and that's this uh I'll talk about that in a second, but the, you know, the top end we have some like really really good, solid Uh, music that that's out and and it's it kind of breaks this ccm mold and and it uh it has solid theology solid uh lyric just just it's fantastic music it doesn't sound like cold play but then you have this other end of the spectrum the, the neanderthal one where it's like it's just total heresy it sounds the same it sounds identical to to the up end but it is just total complete heresy and, and it is really, really hard to tell the difference from the surface. And, uh, and so that's kind of one of the things that we've been focusing on in our podcast is, you know we, we all know that I call them the big four, and that's um, Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation, and Passion. You can pretty much write all that stuff off. Like it is just that's the cold play uh, surface level uh, kind of drifts into gross heterodoxy a lot of the time. But when you really start looking into this indie uh, urban grass stuff, you're either going to get something that's super solid or you're going to get something that is literally on an album called Climate Vigils. Um, uh,
0: so, yeah, it's just it's tough. If you had, so if, if you had put like these tours, if you had put like... Um, if you had asked me, like, apropos of, like, nothing, if you had asked me, is that an Earth Crisis album or, like, yes. song title um, or, like, any uh, vegan hardline band from the late 90s or a Christian, like, worship, uh, I don't know that I could have picked between the two. Yeah. So, so Brad,
3: scroll down to where it says um, the honorable mentions. So, it's after, like, at the bottom of that
1: list. Yeah. It's really sad that the, the, that there are honorable mentions on this big list. they are also EPs, which is really crazy. Yeah. I mean that's for the underfunded uh, guy without a you know, I don't know. But it's just sad. So honorable so, mentions. There you go.
3: The, it's right in the middle. It says the Porter's Gate Climate Vigil songs. Like that is that is there. Um, right next to right it, before Providence. Your
2: yeah, I was right going to say my your favorite pick of the year. There,
3: yes. So Providence for so. Innovate Our Hearts is one of my favorite albums. That was my favorite album that came out last right. year. So, but, so
1: what what is the climate vigil uh, song? So.
3: Uh, I've not listened to the album because the, the name of it is Climate Vigil Songs, but I've listened to a couple of their previous albums. Oh, it's taking um, me to
1: Spotify. Forget that. Well, yeah.
3: Okay. It, who, so if you, the folks. if you scroll down to the bottom of that list, you'll see that Fernando Ortega is on this. Uh, Audrey Assad at the top. She is uh, papist. Uh, Paige CXVI, they are affirming of LGBTQ. Um, they're in a bunch of those. Matt Marr is track five. He is papist as well, uh, and at the bottom we have Fernando Ortega, who who did something on this album,
1: and so that's that's uh unfortunate. Do, do you think Pope Francis, you know, listens to this one? Uh, not anymore. No, no, he he yeah, didn't no. die. He didn't die. Oh, oh, oh my scared. god! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, for, for posterity, oh, one of <laughs> the, the incredible that's, moment. One, one of the two popes. Uh, Cardinal, uh, I mean, uh, Pope Ratzinger, uh, he died this week, so hence the confusion. Sorry, sorry, Ratzinger sorry
0: was Polish, of, though, if friends. I remember correctly. So he's got that going for him.
1: Uh no, at least there's that, yeah. I think he was German, Resby.
0: I don't remember. Okay. Why would I know? Yeah, I know one of them recently was. All right,
1: so, um, <clears throat> um, so. Brent McCracken yeah, of the Gospel Co- Coalition has got. A, he's pretty happy with the uh, with the climate vigil. So, so that so that leads me to a question: yeah. do, do we sort of see? You know, we know that in um, progressive evangelicalism, which is most evangelicalism today, um, social issues, kind of a lefty um, le- lefty issues, um, are those things being reflected in? The, in the lyrics of the music? Yes. Okay, so give us some examples of that, because I wouldn't know and that. So- I, well, no, no, there was. Hold on. There was a group, and I, I don't know if they were associated with the PCA or not, but they there were some PCA people, I think, that promoted it. Um, There was a group that that put out an album, a song about George Floyd, uh, yes same band oh sacred yeah oh this is the same same Oh, uh, sacred, sacred neck yeah. no, oh okay yeah. so the porter's gate o put out oh sacred so, neck now wounded which yes. made o sacred neck now wounded which made george george floyd a christ figure which
3: yes yeah and so that was on their album lament songs and the album before that they had a song that literally had a, the lyric we will cry in the streets no justice no peace um So the writer of these songs is a guy named Isaac Wardell, and he is an Anglican uh, pastor, I think now, but he was a PCA uh, music minister. And uh, I think he was in the PCA, and he was the writer for a band called the Bifrost Arts. Oh, yeah. And their their stuff was pretty solid. I I was a big fan of Bifrost Arts, but now I I don't listen to them anymore because I don't want them to get my
1: royalties to fund
3: more climate vigil songs.
1: All right. So, uh, catering to the needs and tastes of the um, of the uh, the urban uh, progressive evangelical reformed crowd sounds like to me. And when I say yeah. urban, I don't mean uh, I don't I mean just people that live in uh, cities, the cool parts, not 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 the other kind of uh, urban. All right. Well, that's uh, interesting to know. I should have I should have remembered about the uh, I, that whole Porter's Gate thing was lost on me, but um, so it's it, so. So you're saying that the lyrics are of uh, contemporary Christian music are pretty reflective of the of the um, well, the tendencies of evangelicalism.
3: Yeah, and and so just kind of looking at that Providence Renovate Our Hearts uh, album, which is right after that, that has a song about the Holy Spirit. That is one of the best written songs on the Holy Spirit that I've ever heard. It's called "O Creative One. It's that first track. And it's the first line of that song is spirit of God. Come, uh, breathe, awaken us to hold on. Let me get it right. It's, uh, come guide, uh, reveal your truth. I'm getting it wrong. It says, point us to Christ. I'm getting the words wrong. Uh, People that are fans of our show know that I get these words wrong a lot, but um, it just says, you know, reveal the Christ to us, you know, help us to see the Christ for who he is. And no other song says that about the Holy Spirit. It's always, you have my permission to come in this room, you know, it's, it's, or, or I'm commanding the spirit to change, to, uh, to do something. And it's like, that's not that's not how we treat God, and uh,
1: so "O Creative One" is a good song. So that sounds fairly innocuous and and something that you know we could find fifty hymns in the Trinity hymn, hymnal that would say that. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that the um, you know the spirit as a delivery boy or a mood agent or um, a force is um, maybe more common in the uh, contemporary um, lyrics. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. All right, uh, I know that uh, it's best enjoyed with your hands raised, um, mm-hmm. and um, it's
3: not a, speaking in a language that's not English or or a spoken tongue on Earth.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of young, maybe a lot of younger people don't realize that um, the the form and style of of much uh, worship today would have just been written off as. You know, charismatic. Forty years ago, or fifty, and uh, some people own that. I mean, there are guys in the in the PCA who who have sympathies in that direction. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's, a, it's a strange time. Strange time. All right. Yeah. So um, let me. I want to get back to where we where we were on that list, but um, tell us about. Uh, uh, Let's talk about this. What, what does the Brett McCracken top uh, Christian music of 22 list tell us about the state of Christian music in 2023?
3: Um, I, I think that Christian music is going to continue. I think it's going to continue being what it, what it is um, in a lot of ways. I, I think that the vast, vast, vast majority of people we'll just turn on the, we'll just turn on K love and listen to the big four. They'll listen to Bethel elevation Hillsong. I I don't remember. I don't know what passion's doing nowadays. I I haven't heard any of their big songs in, in the past few years. Um, but you know, Tomlin's still writing stuff for on his own and, uh, Redmond is still writing stuff on his own as far as I'm aware, but you know, it's, it's all this just, you know, uh, G C E minor D stuff that, uh, isn't very interesting. It's just meant to be very simple that some guy that, that can learn guitar real quick over the weekend. So he can play on Sunday kind of songs. And, um, and so most people listen to that. Uh, The people that are tired of it are turning to like Spotify and streaming services, uh, me being part of that. And, uh, and you gotta, you gotta be careful. Like there's plenty, I don't know how many times I've seen, oh god our mother uh out there and and stuff like that and it's it's just it's really crazy. So I think we'll see more of that as well, but it's just I think they're just I think the average person's still going to be listening to K-Love until until the meteor strikes the, all the radio towers and we have to just turn to Spotify.
2: Or or you have my problem where you really are liking this particular artist and then they're mm-hmm. turns out they're Mormon, you know. Yeah. Of course.
1: Whoops. Okay,
2: Mormons have all the good music, uh, or the good, uh, the talented musicians. Anyway,
3: so why do the Mormons have all the good music? That was a '90s song, right? <laughs> I don't
0: well, know. I, I think the atheists still take that category. But okay, as, as one of you said earlier, uh, but but they're also way bi- it's also way more to choose from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah actually, as Jimerson said earlier, McCrack is not terribly careful about differentiating between. Music that's appropriate for church and for mm-hmm. your car, um, right? So uh, let's talk about that uh, distinction. You know, I, I, some people say, "Well, you know, listen to anything you want on uh, through the week, and then uh, then just sing church music on uh, Sunday." Um, but what happens through the week, and what is what is sold by the contemporary Christian music industry? Um, It does get picked up by churches on Sunday. Uh, I mean, they Mm -hmm. get, uh, you know, when you see that CCLI number flashed on the screen, that means that the church is paying royalties uh, for that music. So there is money. I mean, I hit, I've got to think that performance in large churches is part of the revenue stream for these uh, Christian artists. I mean, it's got to be. But Let's talk about the way what we listen to through the week influences what we expect on Sunday. Uh, an object lesson from church history past is that uh, you know a lot of the uh, excesses of revivalism and things that were sung at revival meetings, which didn't happen on Sunday. I mean, a lot of you know the, the revivalists who preached in the open air, or they had uh, camp meetings or special events. Um, they innovated musically. Uh, and what you found was that what was first sung in the revival meetings, you know, six months or a year later, was being sung in, in the public worship service. And things that were considered, you know, borderline acceptable uh, Tuesday night on the revival trail uh, soon became the expectation of people who came to your church. That was the the whole vibe the whole thing that they were expecting so let's talk about um and we do believe there's christian liberty to listen to non-christian music or probably any kind of christian music that you want to but how does um how does uh, monday through saturday uh affect sunday when it comes to music yeah
3: so um something that I think Grant and I would both agree with is that the heyday of CCM was late nineties, 97, 98, 99. Uh, As far as just the catchiness, interestingness of the music, like that was like where CCM like really peaked Um, something very interesting happened circa 99. And that was um, every Christian artist started putting out worship music like every major Christian artist put out a worship album, at least one. Um, and, and then these compilations came out as well. Uh city on a hill was a huge album that had God of wonders, which was, uh, a song that still gets sung today in a lot of churches. Uh, And I think that was Mac Powell and, uh, Derek Webb and someone else were all collaborating on that song. And, um, so we just had we had this massive surge toward popular Christian worship music, and uh, and then I think Elevation and Bethel uh, and Hillsong United all like came out of that movement, and they're still the major players today. Uh, so we we got this this idea of a song becomes successful when it can be on the radio and in the church and i think that really struck gold with oceans oceans was number 1 on the billboard uh, christian charts for i think 61 weeks uh and it stayed number 1 like it 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 held that record until Lauren Daigle you say which was over
1: 200 weeks maybe i Uh, I
2: don't think it made it 200. well they didn't
1: make it 200. that was a over 100 weeks over two years that was a doctrinal juggernaut there for sure yes
0: didn't we discuss that the last time like i've still only heard i've only heard it the one time and that was like the one time it was played uh, on our show (laughs)
4: It,
2: yeah it became like this obsession uh yes. until of course uh uh kanye well, took it down Kanye came out yeah took took every top 10 spot on the ccli yeah. or uh sorry uh christian not the ccli but the, uh, not CCLI. the ccm charts
0: you don't hear CCLI, much from that guy, you...
2: that'll really turn some heads <laughs> well, then after, then after <laughs> whatever, whatever happened that album, to that
0: guy you don't hear much from him these days <laughs> yeah, i yeah, don't know yeah, he
3: was i don't know i thought but he was making after, christian
2: albums now uh,
3: well he made one and then he made something else that was weird. And then he, I don't know. But uh, after that album kind of trickled out, You Say came back. And then um, and then there was that Christmas album, the Carrie Underwood Christmas album, and then he just like nuked it. Um, that was
2: crazy.
1: So we, just, we and stopped. And we
2: stopped caring. caring
1: so. <laughs> so, so here's the question. What's the proper... If it, We should understand that what we hear on the radio, we should not necessarily or even probably sing at church because it's just not appropriate. Mm -hmm. So you could help help people understand why that is. Um, But, you know, doctrinally or stylistically, it's just not suited to congregational singing. But how should – so let's grant that there's music that's not appropriate for Sunday and for Mm -hmm. worship, especially in a Reformed context, anyone who – who's serious about uh, doctrine and the regulative principle of worship, but how can someone use these other types of, mu- you know, these other Christian musics um, that aren't, aren't really meant for shouldn't be meant for worship, but what's, mm-hmm. is there, a, is there a proper personal use of them?
3: Yeah, I, I, I believe that there is. Um, and I think that the, the problem that I've kind of been just wrestling with is uh, at at what point does, uh, like how much does personal worship have to follow the regular principle of worship, especially when it comes to like instruments and, and things that aren't congregationally friendly. Um, But I I think that we we have this, this idea that um, you know, that we don't learn from songs as much like we we don't we we don't learn like from god from songs we learn we we hear from god here here's a better word we hear from god through the bible and if the song is rightly preaching the bible then the song points us to the bible and if it's and, and so the song becomes useful when it accurately points us to the bible and and if the song does not accurately point us to the bible it's not useful it's not uh, it's that's where we get into heterodoxy and, and occasionally heresy as well is when it's like when the song itself is trying to be authoritative and speak from God's behalf uh, without actually following the Bible. Uh, a song that um, that comes to mind is um, it's it's by Need to Breathe Uh, come to the fountain, I think is what it's called. You'll you'll be satisfied. It says, give me your love, give me your heart, sing it with all your might, Uh, come to the fountain and you can be satisfied. And that's, that is conditional election. If you do these things, then you will be satisfied uh, as opposed to what we believe is, is unconditional um, election, which is, uh, you will be satisfied if I want you to be satisfied and then you will do these things. Um, And so we we and, and it's from God's perspective as well. It's God. It's God's voice speaking to you, and it's just it's not following the Scripture, and it's just it's trying to be authoritative without using the Bible, and that's that's where we get into issues.
1: Um, well, I've got I've got something for you here. This is a surprise. Okay. Um, at some point I realized that you could sing other parts of Scripture rather than just the Psalms. Of course, we know there's the mm-hmm. Song of Zechariah, Simeon. Mary, Song of Moses, and the Lamb. Uh, we have a license for the New Trinity Psalter Hymnal, which has a few of those, so we sing those on Wednesday night, or you know, if we we have to print it to get it in the in the bulletin, you know, to be able to sing it on Sunday. But I think I think it's been um, it's been detrimental to the church that more people haven't set other parts of Scripture uh, to music. Um, so that's one thing I'm going to play an example of another part of music actually the book part of the book of Amos I forget the chapter uh, to music uh, but there's no pretense that, that this music would ever be sung in church uh, this is music for maybe edification uh, entertainment, probably from a liberal or liberalizing Lutheran in the 70s but it's um it's quite something care uh, Some listeners will will have heard this before I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name John Ilvesaker I think that's his name Uh, Lutheran from the upper Midwest And um, he was a force of nature So let's hear this And then I'm sure you're going to react to it
4: Therefore, thus says the Lord the God of hosts is the Lord In all your little towns there shall be wailing And in all the streets They shall cry They shall call the farmers To mourning I will pass through the midst of you I take no delight In the noise of your solemn assembly Do you desire the day of the Lord? Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and gloom with no brightness in?
1: His assemblies. Okay, the first thing we can say about that, um, he might have had a, you know, this is, this is probably done in 68 or 70, might have had a, a social gospel reason to to, to to set this part of Amos 5 to Scripture. Uh, but I played it for my wife, and I said, you know, there's power in this, even if he intended it to be a social, social justice statement, uh, and it's quite faithful to the text. And, um, and my wife was sort of impressed with it, uh, but there was no pretense that this would be sung in a worship service. So I think this is an example of something that could be for entertainment or personal edification. Um, but the other point I want to make, and I think Resby will agree, this is just not lame. You know, that's, that's pretty cool music. Uh, the guy had a weird vocal style, of course. It was kind of the, you know, kind of the equivalent of the boomers running the show, um, But the music was impressive And uh, well done And uh, most contemporary music today Just doesn't strike me As all that musically um, competent And uh, the energy level can be low And it just doesn't seem very inspired So uh, uh, Musical Guys, Resby Your thoughts on that um, Tour de Force by Lutheran John Ilvesaker
0: I, I'm a fan. I mean not like it it's I'm pretty sure I've even referenced this on one of our episodes before, but it's like the like the not lame description. Uh I I love um when Curb Your Enthusiasm did the Seinfeld reunion and it's got Larry pitching it to Jerry and Jerry just says like I don't know, all those reunion shows always you know, they come off so lame. And, like, Larry David Rebaugh is like, well, what if we do it in a way that's just not lame? And, and Jerry's like, okay, I'm in. Like, that's, it sometimes it really is, like, just that simple. Uh, obviously, that was, you know, very uh, written for television and particularly Curb, but, um, you know, you especially with the sort of down-the-road Christian inspiration, like, songs, like, you can hear, like, Two or three different bands in the '80s who grew up listening to this music, uh, who would, you know, later, you know, make, you know, New Order or like Depeche Mode style uh, songs as well. So, um, what you're gonna, I think, what you're gonna get out of, um, you know, uh, psych adjacent uh, Christian music is probably uh, better than what we're gonna get from uh, Chris Tomlin saying the same thing 45 times in three and a half minutes.
1: Yeah, there was, yes. there was more of a garage rock feel to some of the Christ, early Christian music. And I've said before, I'm glad I didn't know about it and when I was seven years old in 1972. or I would have probably loved it, you know. I would have just fallen in. I'm glad I didn't know about it. now I can safely go back and listen to it. <laughs> but I don't know what it would have done to me back then as a little uh, Southern Baptist boy. I shudder to think. Um, so, um
0: the, the horror of, like, parents' faces when they hear that music <laughs> and then
1: discover that, like, no, Mom, it's Christian. Well, but there was a, the, you know, there was this strong desire in the 60s and 70s to reach the youth, you know, to be relevant. Uh, and some of the efforts to do that were, were pretty impressive, and some of them were as lame as you would think. But uh, Grant and Jemerson, why is not Christian music today as cool as what we just listened to? Um, I think a lot
3: of it is because they want to get played in church. The song is not successful unless it is going to be on the radio and in church, as far as like, you know, the, the, the middle of the, the, of the bell curve. And in order to be played in church, it has to be played by musicians that can't barely play a guitar that are just learning the bass just to be in the church band. So that has to stick with, with G C E minor D so that Bubba down the road can pick up his bass guitar and and play it, and and that way we can have our praise band, and uh, and so yes, you have the mega church down the street that has forty two bands and uh, professional musicians that can do whatever they want to, but the the little forty person church, um, you know, right across the street, you know they they have to have something simple that they can do. And I really really think that that's the reason why.
1: But that makes Did, sense. I'm not a musician, so I, I don't tend to pass judgment on, you know, the ability of people, but that does make sense.
2: Do you think any of it has to do with a generational difference? I mean, that was cool music, and uh, it's obviously a classic. I mean, we still want to listen to it today, but uh, the music today, is it just the version of music? that people like today and is it just a copy of the music that people like today and therefore it it, it has the same effect just for a different generation
1: yeah i i don't know how much any any of the music being made today will anybody will be listened to in 50 54 years i could be wrong but there's sort of I, i was
0: thinking about this um i just finished um Stephen King's Dreamcatcher uh and sympa- The Stones Sympathy for the Devil is like a like a running motif uh throughout it and I was I finished the audible and um so naturally I go into Spotify and I just put on Sympathy for the Devil radio so it like leads off with that and like you're listening to the lyrics of that song uh I don't think that song can get written today or at least get the radio play um, you know um, talking about you know being present when you know the Panzers you know rolled down the street like regardless of the fact that it's a song, you know s- trying to garner sympathy for the devil, um, and so but I think it also comes to like you never know if your first kid is actually the hardest because you can only have a first kid once. Um, you're always going to have like sort of like if you have more than one kid, the second one seems easier because you've already been there. You don't actually know you know, if they, they could be just as hard, maybe they're even harder, but you were already like acclimated to the, the rigors and rhythms of, of parenting. So it it doesn't seem quite as difficult, but, um, it's ultimately where I think I'm going with music is that things are changing so much faster in terms of, um, how we're listening to music. I mean, you know, uh, Apple turned off, you know, down, down, being able to download songs or like purchase songs for download. So like CDs have effectively outlived iTunes in a very, very real sense. Which is, I mean, who had that on their bingo card? So, um, I like who knows what we'll be listening to in like 50 years. But I do think there is something about why the songs that have lasted that long have lasted that long. Um, there, there, there was something very much about it. Some of it is time and place, but some of it is, um, it, you know, it, and people have been talking about it for years, even in like regular, like rock and roll, you know, there are some large rock bands out there. I think, you know, Foo Fighters were probably one of them, but as you look back, there's not those like just, just huge, ever. you can't escape them like rock bands that like everyone seemed to love. Um, there are
1: exceptions, but like you two and Coldplay. Yeah, oh golly! They'll never be replaced. Well, what, what we need is more, more creed. I think
2: creed. Uh, yeah they were good.
1: <laughs> unir-
2: I were uniro-
0: unironically, I'm seconding <laughs> this.
2: That's about the the apostles one, right?
0: Yeah, it's a band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you kind, of, but you kind of need like big crappy artists because it makes like like the Ramones don't happen without disco in my opinion. Uh, so l- a little bit of give and take there.
1: Well, and there was very little disco, Christ- Christian disco. I don't know why.
3: The Newsboys the Newsboys put out a Christian uh, oh, disco album. Oh,
1: I'm, I'm glad I didn't know
3: that,
0: actually. Um, what what a testament to their continuing faith they are. Uh, yes, what? it
3: was late 90s. Early 2000s? Yeah.
2: To to be, it it was, no, 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 late 90s. Uh, To be fair, I mean, tongue was firmly planted in cheek uh, with that album, I will say. Yes, it was.
1: All right. Well, you you all have uh, pointed out um, that Psalms have sort of made a resurgence. Mm -hmm. So we do want to be, um, we do want to uh, highlight some positive things. Uh, you suggested three different pieces of music that we could play and uh, that that typify this and uh, I think you're you were skeptical that they're good for congregational use but I'm pretty sure that'll, that that uh, people will be tempted to try to use them in that way and we talked about why that might or might not be uh, a good example but of those three um, I think they're all psalms uh, that you mm-hmm. sent um, that people you know, people may not be aware, and I think my wife might like some of these. Uh, I heard about this Poor Bishop Hooper project, which I don't really like the style of the music, but the fact that they're doing all the psalms—I think that's the the project, yeah, right? Finished. Okay, yeah, they, they finished. Okay, they did them all, uh, mm-hmm. and that's pretty impressive. Well, even if I don't like the styles, so let's let's go ahead and start out with that one. Um, this is Poor Poor Bishop Hooper, which is what a duo. Man and a, he's wife. a husband and wife. Okay, yeah. and he's sort of skinny, reedy, you know. He, he sort of looks like he sounds. I'm gonna tell you all that. But uh let's just let's hear this and see what we uh, think about it.
5: What mighty praise, oh God, belongs to you. What mighty praise, oh God, what mighty praise we will fulfill the made to you we will fulfill oh god we will fulfill oh to you who hear our prayers oh to you who all men come what mighty praise oh god belongs to you what mighty praise oh god what mighty praise though our sins prevail you forgive them all how blessed is the one whom you choose to bring near to you
1: all right, well, I think you get the idea. I don't want to, you know, I think they say if you don't play more than about 45 seconds, and we're, criti- you know, we're doing critical, critical criticism here. We can use this with fair use, but uh, we won't go too long on these. Um, we're not going to play the full versions, um, but that's the yeah, song. That's I can text Jesse and get the permission if you need me to. Yeah, no, I'd be all right. He, he he might listen to this and get and get mad at because I don't because I don't like the, the vocal style. The uh, but one thing I will say, this vocal style, the sort of breathy, um, angsty, you know, twenty something, thirty something male, um, it's utterly impossible for it to be of any use without amplification. In a in a church building or service, um, so that that's not typically what we would find. but I think for personal listening, if you you know if you if the style doesn't bother you and you find it conducive and if they have uh, faithful paraphrases of the psalms, that um, could be helpful. It's certainly better than many things you could listen to. So um, um, what do you have to say about uh, this artist in particular and this you know, this song or this? Uh, project of psalms
3: yeah i mean there's been just a very small handful of people that have undertaken to uh to do this single-handedly and i think of all of the artists that have attempted it they have definitely done it the fastest and uh and i think they've done it the most excellently uh i'm I'm a huge fan of, of poor bishop hooper uh we've had them on our show a couple times um Okay, I, and, I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so we is this uh, is this Urban Grass? I, I I, I'm asking. That. I'm asking that honestly. Um, this song isn't as much Urban Grass as some of their other stuff. It's just kind of folky acoustic.
4: Yeah. You know. Folky yeah.
1: acoustic. They have a couple other albums that are significantly more Urban Grass. How, um, how about this? How about this? Folky acoustic is the new adult contemporary. Yes, I, I would agree. I Think it is.
3: Okay. Yeah. Uh, ever since Mumford and Sons, I think, uh, kind of popularized it. Um, it's the new so
2: authentic, I think the new authentic.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Astroturf. I've, I've heard, I've heard the word astroturf used. It's fake grassroots. Um, <laughs> okay. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so these, these guys, they, uh, they released a song a week. So they spent one week on that song. Um, is it the best song that could ever have come out for Psalm 65? No, probably not. If they had spent more time on it, would have would it have been better? Yes, probably. But they spent an average of one
1: week. Was uh, this a COVID, a co- sort of a COVID project?
3: No, they actually after? started the project before COVID. Okay. And, uh, and, and so they were very happy that they had already begun the groundwork for this when COVID hit because they were already in the middle of the project.
1: All right. So that's one. Uh, again, you know, that uh, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the other things she's listening. My wife might like that whole, mm-hmm. you know, that, just to listen to all those. Uh, she's got uh, hundreds of Psalms uh, re- recordings. So uh, she's got almost everything Crown and Covenants ever put out and some things besides that. Um, so, yes, Psalms. So it's a it's a good trend. If if the trend is toward psalms, that's a good thing. Uh the next one I've got here is uh Satisfied. Um which psalm is uh, that? Forty-two. And this this one's associated with Mars Hill? Yes. The yeah, defunct uh, Mars Hill. So we can play the whole thing. Defunct. I don't I don't think they can sue it. They can sue us. So anyway, let's uh, let's hear this uh, other other psalm.
5: I've lost my appetite. And the flood is welling up behind my eyes So I eat the tears I cry And if that were not enough They know just the words to cut and tear and prod When they ask me where's your God Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you showed your face to me As a deer pants for water So my soul thirsts for you and when I behold your glory, you so faithfully renew, like a better friend.
1: All right, I think you get the idea. And again, I get, get, my main problem with that is stylistically, sort of the affected, tortured yeah. vocal style, which uh, will sound dated uh, someday. There's probably a straighter way to, to play that one and sing it, but uh, I'm old. So um, I don't know when that came along. I'm thinking, uh, thinking before, about the singer-songwriters before the implosion. Yeah, then not. Yeah, but I'm talking about that style. It's, it's sort of a, a early '90s, mid '90s um, singer-songwriter style when they, you know, when they rain re- when they re- wreaked their reign of terror on uh, FM radio back then. But uh, so what? what what do we say about this one? Is this, was this an early version of some of some Psalm, uh, contemporary psalms? So uh,
3: yeah, this this was on uh, an album uh, put out by a band called The Sing Team. Uh, the writer for this was a member of the band called Citizens or Citizens Citizens and Saints, uh, which was kind of their headlining band at, at Mars Hill. Um, and if you don't like his vocals, you should really probably not listen to the uh, Citizens album. Um, because I don't think I don't okay, think I, I won't. Like um, but it's very, very Seattle, Portland ish sound. But, um, well, it's called the Dream of the it's, 90s, it's coffee house music. Yeah, the, the Dream of the 90s is alive in Portland as, as far as I hear, but anyway, um. I, I wouldn't sing the song in church personally because the second verse has some weird lines in it. Um, like it's an in, it's an inbred feedback loop, an inbred feedback loop that brings me down. I, I just don't think that's like a congregationally friendly line. It's hold, a
1: cool. Kind of, hold on. That was his paraphrase of the Psalms. Of the song of Psalm Psalm 42, when I'm staring
3: at the ground, it's an inbred feedback loop that brings me down. It's just one of the lines. Well, obviously, they should have named weird,
1: they should have named the band inbred feedback loop. That was an opportunity missed. Yeah.
3: Yes. Um, and, and so in context it makes sense but it's it's not a congregational worship song it's yeah. a it, it's a meditative song well, it would
1: be you know to talk about inbreeding that would be a, an offense in some parts of the Appalachians and and, of Arkansas and Alabama um, so wouldn't want to do that yeah not everyone knows that you' you're from you're from my hometown
3: yes yeah we, we are from the same hometown
1: there you go probably born in the That'd same same hospital.
3: I was born in Little Rock, so
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, um City Boy. <laughs> my so, my
3: dad worked at St. Bernard's though. Yeah,
1: that's where I was born. Yep. Yep. All right. Um Grant, your thoughts on uh on this um uh, psalm paraphrase.
2: Um so again, like you said, I think that the the e- recent influx of psalm paraphrases is Um, fairly encouraging, um, from the standpoint that people, uh, artists are beginning to look to, uh, scripture for, um, rather than just, you know, a feeling or something like that, or a Jesus is my boyfriend take on things. And so it it feels like a net positive to me. Um, and in fact, uh, there are bands too that are even just taking the straight words of scripture um as if this were a brand new thing but uh and and setting it to music um there's uh the uh verses project which is um
1: doing a lot of that um and well chant chant is chanting is really the best way to sing scripture literally i mean you know word for word but that well, seems, seems the weird to original people well in style yeah yeah, could be. Could be. Yeah, I mean, there's this whole theory, you've probably read it, that, uh, that well, there's there's an assertion from someone that the um, uh, Genevan Psalms were based on Gregorian chants, and Gregorian chants were based on Hebrew Psalms. So and, <laughs> that's a stretch, okay, a 1,500-year stretch. But, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, regardless, uh, it is interesting um, and to see that there is, uh, there does seem to be some sort of a a realization, I hope, that um, uh, a lot of the music can come from uh, scripture rather than um, trying to read back into it the culture uh, and then try and Christianize it somehow.
3: Yeah. And the… Uh... I just wanted to throw out the, the band the corner room they have a uh, three albums of psalms that is literally esv word for word uh which is very hard to take esv word for word and put it to music and it sound good but they have a gift and it's it's just it's really impressive
1: all right well let's play one more is this psalm five uh, this is psalm two two that's right i believe from my from my soul among lions okay well that's uh you can tell us who they are but uh, let's hear it banjo
4: why do the nations rage why do the peoples plot in vain seeking
0: to rid themselves of Christ's dominion a theme that's true in any age Oh, tell me why do the heathen
4: nations rage?
0: Kings and rulers take their stand against the Lord and his anointed land to tear
4: from them Messiah's cords and feathers and set themselves upon his stake. Oh, tell me why do the heathen nations reign? The God of heaven laughs at them, he laughs them all to scorn. I set my king on Holy Zion's hill.
0: He rebukes the men, his anger says, Today my child is born, and woe to those refusing my goodwill. My son just Alright,
1: well, our, uh, our live listeners. Uh, express that they listen to this they like this um, but I don't and I think one of you told me that maybe you, you thought people might try to sing this in church um, but I don't see how that I, I don't know how anyone could, could do that um, but anyway it is more more favorably received than, than uh, many of the other ones that we've played so uh, tell us about this one this group uh, project um, so yeah
3: uh, yeah, and I, I think what I said to you was, I would love to see churches sing this song just to see what happens. Because the uh, you're talking over the chorus, which said, uh, you know, my son just asked me and I'll give the nations of the earth to you to rule them with a mighty iron rod, to dash them all to pieces and to pound them into dirt till you've spread your fame and power and love abroad. And uh, I think that people would hear that and be like, What? is this christian what in the nationalism world am I listening to yeah. <laughs> and, I, and i think they would get offended and then we'd say go read psalm two
1: and and yeah. it's so there you, you were saying it doesn't fit with the big eva mega church, um <laughs> ethos
3: no no uh, it does not fit with the positive encouraging k-love <laughs> um, but yeah okay. uh,
1: imagine psalm 137 on k-love yes it's and, not safe uh, for the
2: little ears in the back seat <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah.
3: especially mm-hmm, the ones mm-hmm, being dashed to pieces mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but it's a uh, it's we, we we've had uh one of one of this with the band members on on our show and he actually gave us permission to to use any of the songs mm-hmm. and whenever we wanted so so that's fine that one's good okay. um but well, I yeah, so song, yeah yeah but uh, yeah, that song too, it seems just so cheerful about talking about people being ground into dirt. And it's, uh, I, I just, I, I just, I find that song to be just enjoyable uh, On at my home. My kids love this song, actually. It's really fun. Um, most kids do. Most kids do because really? it's just happy and happy, even though we're talking about grounding them into dirt. Um, well,
2: maybe especially because we're talking about grinding people up in dirt.
3: Yeah, Your kids aren't like in, mine yeah my my kids did have asked me why are we singing like why does he talk about that and so i explained it but it's 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 a i i like that song and i like that band uh they've they put out three albums of just psalms they almost got through book one uh they were like just a few songs shy of, of finishing book one um but they i think covid really threw them off if i remember correctly
1: well that happened of course um, yeah. So anyway, there's three examples. Uh, they're out there, not hard to find, and of course, they can get in touch with you all or listen to your show. Uh, Ballman Gilead. Uh, would re- requ- I would request. Uh, I would suggest everyone subscribe uh, if they haven't, and because um, you know you're going to get stuff from these guys that we can't give you. We just don't know about music the way they do. Um, so. Um, anything in, in our last few minutes that you you know you do want to talk about or points you want to make or other artists you want to suggest because we're we're um, you know we're, we're not trying to say just listen to what we like um, yeah. the, the, the good good contemporary music rightly used rightly understood I'm sure can be helpful to people and uh, our, our listeners are already listening to it maybe they can find some better stuff with your help.
3: Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, there's a question that we had kind of talked about earlier that I think if, if we really went down that rabbit trail, it'd probably take us another hour, 26 minutes and seven seconds, uh, to, to go over. But that was the, uh, just holding intention, this idea of, uh, using instruments in, in corporate worship, uh, and it's especially in, 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 The context of the regulative principle of worship, Uh, especially since Psalm 150 talks so much about instruments, including the the, the loud clashing symbols. Um, In comparison to this argument of, I I see, I've witnessed instruments in church not being beneficial, and I've witnessed keeping it simple being beneficial, but that's not necessarily a biblical argument. It's a it's an experiential argument, and so this idea of holding intention, the sola scriptura, where I see instruments as being allowed in scripture, but I experience them not being very beneficial. Um, so that's well, a can of worms.
1: Let me give the standard answer to that. Um, a lot of people say that the instruments associated with the temple. Or part of, you know, were fulfilled in Christ, and that usually the instruments were most prominent uh, with the uh, in, at the times of the temple service where there was a, the sacrifice was being offered. Uh, the temp, you know the, the musicians were priests; they were Levites. We don't have any of those today. We're all priests in some way now. There's the counter argument, um, but I think I think the thing with uh, instruments. That we can if we believe the rest of the temple rites were fulfilled in Christ, we can I think we can make the case that the the instruments are, or at least those instruments are not necessary. We don't have to try to duplicate that, especially since we don't have the tunes uh, that they were singing. We don't know how they they were arranged. That's another point. Uh, and the other thing is, I, I used to use this hashtag remember when Paul, and I would say, remember when Paul commended the Ephesians for their great praise band? No, you don't remember that because he never did. There's no narrative support in the New Testament outside of, some people might say, Revelation. But in the epistles, uh, the gospels, we just don't hear about uh, musical instruments uh, in the worship of the, of the church. because we we wouldn't hear in the gospel uh, the Gospels, because the Church, as we know it, had not even uh, uh, formed, but we just don't hear about that. And uh, they certainly had instruments. I mean, there were tambourines, and um, 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 you know, there were certainly rhythmic instruments, instruments they could carry around. I don't know what sort of flutes or or, um, or pipes that they had, um, but we just don't read about it. And um, I think the the presence or lack of narrative support uh, or commandment in the new testament is uh, is pretty pretty powerful but that's the standard line yeah. from the cambridgeanly reformed <laughs>
3: no and and that's it's a good line and and ultimately that's kind of what kind of won me over um i've i've i was the guy at like saying uh, your, your argument, aren't we all priests today? You know we, we are, we are a nation of priests, according to revelation. Um, and it's, it's just interesting. Uh, we, we've listened to these songs though, these, these Psalms that are paraphrases that I personally think are fairly faithful. A uh, couple artistic liberties enough to where I wouldn't sing them in church, but they're, they capture the spirit, they capture, uh, the intention and, and the emotion, um, but they use instruments and and what what do you say about that? Like in, in personal use to put on Spotify for the sake of trying to maybe be more devotional to someone else. Um, uh, what about instruments then? Oh,
1: I, I've got no problem with that. Um, I've got no problem with, uh, you know, simple, helpful accompaniment in, uh, in the church service. I mean, I would be happy with no instruments. I'm I'd be happy with, uh, Instruments that are modest and appropriate, and some of that's culturally conditioned. I get that, um, but uh, the simplicity, which I think you know, it's something you you guys, find, you know, thought about, and and it was important in in slight changing of your views. Uh, simplicity, portability, um, something that um, that's really beyond culture. Uh, and I think I think spare or no instrumentation can be probably more cross-cultural than something that's complicated. Uh, Certainly anything that's, you know, technologically, um, that requires a lot of of technology or skill. Um, That's an argument against against instruments, I guess. Grant?
2: Well, I was just going to say, I mean, like, yeah, if we're going to say that the the Levitical priesthood and the the the, wor- the temple worship was abolished or abrogated, really not abolished, but abrogated, fulfilled, I think that is a pretty strong argument in my mind anyway for uh, why we would not want um, uh, instrumental worship, uh, because w- when Psalm one hundred and fifty or uh, many of the other psalms are talking about that, it's within the context of this uh, temple worship. Um, which uh, you, you know, if we're not if we're not doing incense, we're you know, we're we're not doing. Why are we doing instruments? Um, you don't put
3: incense
1: in your fog them? machine.
2: Um. Well, hey, they've got those. Know, about, I'm they've got those at Bed Bath Beyond. Mystery team.
1: Yeah, they call them misters or something, but uh, they do that. Diffusers. That's it. That's it. Yeah.
2: That's it. Yeah. I'll alert the yeah, yeah the, the smells mm-hmm. ministry team.
1: Well, the, you know, somebody will have an aller- allergic reaction to it, and it'll be like you'll have to have wife. you'll wow. have to have gluten-free <laughs> fog and regular fog. Correct. But but how do you keep it? How do you keep it safely separated? I don't know. But what if your drummer is gluten-free? Oh, he's got he's got everything. Yeah, he's not free of anything. I wouldn't think. You know, I've been to well, one I've been I've been to one megachurch service, and it was um, a Saturday night service. I wouldn't. Wouldn't have gone on, on a Sunday. It's uh, about the, the, the you know the at the movies series uh, that uh, classic. Yeah, we, we yeah, how it. original. Wherever did they get the idea for it? Yeah, we did, we did a show on that, and um, we they, did. they literally had um, they had fog. They did, and the greatest hits of the eighties because they were uh, they were doing uh, Back to the Future, a movie which I a had lot of ne- fog in the eighties. I had never seen Back to the Future. Uh, everything I knew about it came from. Then my wife made me watch it, but uh, I, f- I first saw it at a mega church. What amazes
2: me is that Formative we will bend over.
1: For
2: me. We'll bend over backwards to accommodate a, a gluten-free cracker, and yet you know some of those uh, t- same places. You talking have- about
1: crackers, my neighbors? What are you? T- what is this? What kind, of, what kind of slur? Slur is that?
2: slap my mouth um
1: so accommodation
2: but but we'll, we'll we'll go to this great you know great lengths to accommodate in uh, in, in that aspect but then my you, you know the flip on the fog machine because my wife will uh, just like um gets you know asthma from that and so it's like why is it like you're all about accommodating one but not the you, you know not something that's not even uh, you, you know, a part of worship.
1: Well, they probably got a fog-free room with this big screen. It's all good. <laughs> well, they pass out earplugs at a lot of megachurches for the children and old people.
2: Yeah, we went to a, a Baptist megachurch many, many, many years ago in Tucson, Arizona, and that was, you know, like one of these great revelations. In fact, it was said from the pulpit that it was a sign that you care about the next generation if you have earplugs in your ears. Um, so, it, it's, it's one of these um, tokens of, I'm showing great love to my neighbor by by having these. I, was like, I mean, back then I was young, I was probably, yeah, that sounds really good.
1: Wow. Okay, yeah, we did a phony ad about uh, earplugs for Mega Earplugs. Yeah.
2: A phony ad?
1: Phony, phony,
2: yes.
1: (laughs) So, um, yeah, very good. Um, Well, anything else we should say about music before we say goodnight? And you and Resby will have to fight over the outro.
3: Well, I mean, I could literally talk for hours and hours about music. So, uh, I think that this is probably as good a line to draw as any.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I had the feeling you could talk for both that you could talk for a long time about this, but uh, we'll do it again. We'll come. Uh, just, absolutely. Yeah.
2: I'm drinking constant comments. So yes, I could talk for, for a little while longer too, but, um, Resby, do you want to arm wrestle for this? Because you'll win. I got skinny arms.
0: Um I, I am I don't know. I'm sure. Can we just say the urban
2: line together?
0: Yeah. Oh, we could do this that. This is the proudest moment. So, so do we want to do so it, it's like one, two, three, say it. And then Sh- uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, we could tol- we could we could totally do that. So wait for my three count. It'll be like one, okay. two, three, don't, don't be an urban Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, that wasn't
0: the live one, but okay. Don't be an nerdman.
2: Oh, uh, so embarrassed. <laughs>
0: this is so much better. <laughs>